What's up, Fight fans? Welcome to episode number 158 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This is TNC 158 for the week of Saturday, February 16th. And before we get into news and notes, just want to let you guys know, TNC, the podcast, is now officially on Spotify. So uh, you guys know I just signed up on Spreaker recently, and uh, we've been making a push to get on Spotify. We uh, submitted to them. Usually it takes a few weeks, but they went ahead and added us in just a couple of days. So uh, they must have liked what we're doing over here. So if, uh, if you have Spotify, check us out there, okay, and get, and get the word out about that. So uh, working on some other platforms as well. And guys, for real, working on the live video version of TNC. We have the camera, we have the software, we have the technology, we're in the testing phase. I know I've been saying it for like a year now, maybe even over a year, but guys, I did a cross country move. I sold a home, I bought a home, I'm in the process of renovating a home. I've basically been spending all my free time when I'm not writing articles and doing different things like that and doing the podcasts and everything else. I'm at that house fixing it. We ripped it down to the studs and I'm rebuilding it. It's just me doing it. So I promise you guys it's coming, okay? I promise you it's coming. It's coming soon. So uh, TNC, big things happening with the podcast. That is going to be the flagship of Montero Unboxing and what I do in this sport. I'm going to continue to write articles. I'm going to continue to go to fights and cover fights live and and call in the different podcasts, the radio shows, and, and if I can get more commentary gigs and all that, of course, I'm gonna to continue to do all that stuff. But my vision, years from now, is that TNC, The Neutral Corner, is a weekly show that the boxing industry looks forward to. It's a live video, a podcast version goes out on every damn platform there is. Live call-in, where people can call in, we're gonna have guests on calling in, whether it be fighters, promoters, other media members, every week, Guys, so much planned, so many big things planned for this thing. Please, please, please get the word out and thank you for your support. I'm telling you, we're going places. All right, enough of that. Let's get into news and notes. Okay, so uh, let's start with some sad news and get, get this out of the way. But uh, I want to say rest in peace to Rocky Lockridge, who is a former uh, two-time super featherweight world titleist. And, um, you know, a lot of you, particularly you younger guys, um, you know, who you didn't see him fight because he fought back in the day, um, you probably know him best for, there's like a reality TV show. I can't remember what reality show it was, but I think Rocky Lockridge, who after his career, uh, he, you know, he had some troubles in his personal life, some drug issues. I think he was homeless for a while. He had suffered strokes. In fact, that, that's ultimately how he passed away uh, last week, February 7th to be exact. He had multiple strokes and complications from those strokes ultimately led to his death at uh, 60 years old. But he was on a reality show with his son and he has this famous cry that, look, I'll admit it, I've posted it on my social before because it is hilarious. But uh, so that's probably how you guys know. I think his, his son says something like, I still love you. And he just, Rocky Lockridge goes, ah, and just cries for 20 seconds. And it made all the late night TV shows and everything like that. So you young guys, that's probably how you know Rocky Lockridge. But go to YouTube, you younger guys who never seen him fight because he was a great fighter out of Tacoma, Washington. 
and was always competitive. There was, uh, I think, one fight in his prime that he lost by stoppage. But all of his other fights that he lost in his prime were kind of controversial. Two close losses, decision losses, to Panamanian Eusebio Pedroza, and then majority decision losses to Wilfredo, Wilfredo Gomez and Julio Cesar Chavez. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, pretty... If you got majority decision losses to those two, clearly you know who the A-side was in those fights. There are a lot of people out there that feel that uh, Rocky Lockridge won those fights. But uh, officially, a two-time 130-pound world titleist. And... Um, I think deserving of the Hall of Fame one day. I think that uh, he will eventually get in. I think some of his troubles outside the ring post-retirement have, have kind of hurt some of his voting with a lot of the media. That kind of stuff, you know, it really shouldn't count. You should vote a guy in unless he does something egregious like an O.J. Simpson, you know, somebody like that, a murderer. Um, you know, yeah, you should probably vote for a guy based upon what he did in the ring, not necessarily what he did outside of it. Anyway, so rest in peace and thoughts with the Lockridge family. Okay, let's talk about some WBA bullshit. <laughs> let's, uh, you know, we just talked about some depressing news. Let's just let's just beef with the WBA here and joke about them for a second. They they truly are, and I've been saying this. I know it's a broken record. They are the worst sanctioning organization in all of combat sports. I'm just, this is more than just boxing. I, all martial arts. The WBA is an absolute fucking joke. And they continue to add titles to divisions and make these weird rulings. Gervonta Davis, Alberto Machado, uh, they both have titles. I talked about that a little bit last week, you know, with Davis, how he couldn't even make weight for a title defense it gets stripped of a title then he comes back and he's immediately fighting for a wba title against the guy coming off a loss it doesn't make sense what these people do but now they're allowing saul canelo alvarez to hold his wba super middleweight title and i don't mean super <clears throat> super middleweight like the division i mean super 160 pound title because remember you got an interim title a regular title and a super title. Now, in theory, I understand what an interim title is. And, and, and there are situations where an interim title works out. The guy with the, the, the regular title or whatever word you want to use uh, is injured or there's some sort of issue. Okay, there's an interim title. I actually understand the interim title. It's, it's, I basically looked at as a title eliminator a uh, number one mandatory position kind of thing, right? But how in the hell in a division can you have a champion who is a super champion and a regular champion? When I think of the word champion, and I think of words that are synonymous with champion, I think of, I think of words like great, you know, um, uh, phrases, at the top, the best, right? You know, those are the types of words that go along with champion. I don't think of the word regular. <laughs> what the hell is a regular champion? That's like saying, you know, you're a regular god. So the WBA is allowing Canelo Alvarez to hold the super 160-pound title with his regular 168-pound title. Obviously, Callum Smith is the super, super middleweight champion. 
And he's the guy in that division. He won the World Boxing Super Series season one. He's pretty much seen as the top guy right now at 168. So how can Canelo be both regular and super at the same time? That's like being pregnant and not pregnant at the same time. Dead and alive at the same time. Young and old at the same time. I don't get it. But that's the WBA. All right. I'm sure we'll be talking more about them next week and every week here on TNC because that's just what the WBA does. They really are a fucking joke. And I don't know why any boxer would pay the sanctioning fees. I understand when you're first coming up in the sport, titles matter. And there are situations where the WBA has done the right thing. We, they certainly have. Uh, Indom, Hassam Indom and uh, Rayo de Morada, that, de- demanding that rematch, mandating that. Okay, that, That's a good example of them doing the right thing. But there are way more examples of them doing the wrong thing. But if you're a young fighter coming up in the world or uh, a guy who isn't a household name, I understand why you pay that sanction and fee while you have that title. If you're Canelo Alvarez, do you think he really gives a shit about having the WBA title? I don't know. Anyway, let's move forward. Uh, so the ESPN broadcast last week, the top rank uh, on ESPN broadcast, and I know it was a main events kind of co-promotion thing, but the ESPN portion of it, not ESPN Plus, the ESPN portion of it, which was headlined with Oscar Valdez fighting uh, Carmina Tomasone, that bout peaked at just over 1 million viewers on ESPN. All things considered, with the strangeness of that card, going from the app to the network, back to the app, the fact that Valdez hasn't fought in forever, the fact that he was fighting a complete no-hoper, not bad ratings. And it was down from the rating he did with Scott Quigg last year, but not down that much. So all things considered, pretty good rating for uh, Oscar Valdez and his ring return coming off that broken jaw injury. Okay, I uh, talked about WBA. Let's talk about WBC. They postponed the purse bid between uh, Deontay Wilder's group and Tyson Fury's group. That was supposed to take place recently. But both sides wanted that purse bid postponed because they're so close to getting a deal done. And the WBC granted them that exemption. So that pretty much tells me we're going to get an announcement with Wilder Fury 2 pretty soon. Now, if you look at the way they handled the first fight, you know, remember, uh, after uh, Tyson Fury took care of business, I think it was Francesco Pianetta he was fighting, Deontay Wilder jumped in the ring and they pretty much said the fight was going to happen there, but they didn't officially announce it till like two months after that. So they have a habit over on the PBC universe of taking their time, making things official. I've been saying, if you really want to do this rematch the right way and increase the ratings, increase the, the gate revenue, all of it, Man, you got to promote this thing. So I'm hoping that they announce it pretty soon. But you guys, rest assured, Wilder Fury 2, it's happening this year. It's likely happening in the spring, okay? New York or Vegas? I tend to believe it's going to go to Vegas, but New York is a strong possibility. Marcos Maidana making a ring return. Hasn't fought since 2014 when he fought Floyd Mayweather Twice. There was really no need for the first fight. There was certainly no need for the rematch, but you know, that's how Floyd did business. Uh, Maidana, though, boxing fans love him. Diehard fight fans love him, especially because of what he did to Adrian Broner. But he had some other quality wins as well. And he was competitive in pretty much all of his losses. There's only a few guys who really handed his ass to him. So uh, he hasn't fought, though, since 2014. Five years, right? 
talking about making the ring return, saying it will be at welterweight. And you guys have seen photos of him chilling on the beach and stuff, you know, back home. Uh, looks like a heavyweight, <laughs> a short, pudgy heavyweight. So getting down to 47, that will be interesting. He's been promoting down there in South America. And um, he had some of his relatives fighting. Fabian Maidana just lost. I don't know if that has anything to do with any of this. It maybe it gave him the itch to get back in there or if money's tight or if he's just straight up bored after partying for five years. Could be that too, man. Maybe he just wants to get his ass back in shape and make a quick buck while doing it. So this is a good way to do it. Probably going to come back for two fights. And there's a million names, obviously, PBC has at welterweight. The first fight won't be against a welterweight. It's probably going to be against a smaller guy. Or if it is against a welterweight, it's going to be somebody completely shot to shit. Somebody, you know, absolutely undeserving of, of a headlining fight. And that's, you know, the, the, the tune-up. And then it's going to be, maybe it's Keith Thurman. Maybe it's Manny Pacquiao. I wouldn't rule out a rematch with Adrian Broner although he's coming off a loss. But if Broner gets in the win column later this year, it could happen. But that's probably what you're going to get. Do you guys want to see Keith Thurman fight a completely shot to shit Marcos Maidana? I don't particularly want to see that. Do you want to see Manny Pacquiao fight a shot to shit Marcos Maidana? I don't particularly want to see that either. But we're probably going to get one of those fights. It is what it is. Richard Comey. Talked about him last week off of his career-defining win. Uh, hurt his right hand, I believe. He's going to need about six to eight weeks of rest. Therefore, he is not quite yet in the Lomachenko sweepstakes. He's going to have to wait for a little while. So, Vasily Lomachenko will fight Anthony Krala. I, I believe that's his... I think Krala is the WBA mandatory. So, that will be in April in Los Angeles. And then Kome will probably be... Loma's fall opponent. So it's probably going to be Anthony Corolla and Richard Comey this year for Vasily Lomachenko. So uh, probably not going to be in the running for fighter of the year or anything like that with that kind of resume. Although Richard Comey, very good fighter. And I think he's going to be very, very competitive with Lomachenko. However, I still absolutely favor Loma because of the angles and the craft and everything like that. He's just going to have to avoid Comey's big punches. No way he's going to hurt Comey. That's definitely going the distance. He's going to have to be very disciplined to avoid getting dropped like he was against Linares. Linares, a faster, harder puncher than Comey. I understand Comey just coming off a big knockout win. I get that, guys, but look at who he fought. Uh, so, yes. However, you compare Comey to Linares. Linares, a little long in the tooth. Right, Kome is definitely the fresher guy, so so Loma's going to have to take him very seriously. Obviously, I think uh, Lomachenko is going to steamroll Krola. I, I don't know. He probably will stop Krola late, but don't be surprised if that shit goes the distance. Lomachenko is not a hard puncher, particularly at 135 pounds. The stoppages he has, I mean, he he did stop Linares to the body. That was beautiful. Uh, but most of the stoppages he gets are out of frustration or something like that. And I just don't see Krola as a quitter. We'll find out. Okay, Daniel Roman and TJ Doheny probably going to unify their titles, their 122-pound titles, uh, in Los Angeles this spring. So Daniel Roman has the WBA belt. He, he had a mandatory situation lined up. I can't... Uh, 
the name escapes me right now, but I think the fighter they had lined up was only like 5-0, and Eastern European fighter. He's out. They basically told him, you're no longer the mandatory. I don't know how you can do that, but that's what they did. And said, Roman, you're cool to fight the IBF titleist, Doheny. These two want to fight each other. I like that matchup. I think that's going to be good. And for Roman, who's been on the road fighting a lot, I mean, got his title over in Japan, defended it there. I think he fought in Texas. Now he gets to fight back in the L.A. area where he's from, where his family and friends are. Good for him. For Doheny, who also traveled to Japan to win his title, now he's coming to America to defend it in impossibly unified titles. Both of these dudes are kind of road warriors doing it the old school way. I like the fight, man. Good diehard boxing fight fans, you know, fight freaks kind of a fight. I, I dig it. All right, some upcoming fights here real quick, and then we'll get to the review. Uh, Lamont Peterson versus Sergey Lipinets. That will be Sunday, March 24th. I actually like that matchup. I think it's a good quality matchup, particularly for a Fox Sports 1 Sunday card. I think that, that that's a good matchup. Shakur Stevenson, his biggest step-up fight to date, fighting Christopher Diaz on April 20th on the Crawford Con undercard. Stevenson has really looked impressive recently. He's starting to grow up a little bit. Has it been matchmaking? Or is he really, really uh, turning into what the brass at top rank think he could be, you know, a really top fighter. We'll find out against Christopher Diaz, who's an experienced guy, and that's a big stage for Stevenson to be fighting on. So uh, very interested in that matchup for him. All right, guys, that's it for news and notes this week. Let's review what happened last week. So Friday, February 8th, uh, I talked about some of the small little club shows around the country. Wanted to quickly highlight the show in Philadelphia put on by Michelle Rosado, better known as Raging Babe on her social. Great event that she put on. Almost a capacity crowd at the uh, the venue there in Philadelphia. But uh, Philly Bantamweight prospect, 17-0, uh, came into that fight, uh, KO'd in the second round by uh, Mexican Victor Ortiz, who came in. He had been knocked out five times, Victor Ortiz did. Came in there uh, with 10 losses. Big upset of a Philly prospect in Philly. It was kind of a precursor of some of the other fights we would see this weekend. So that's why I wanted to mention that. Guys, in boxing, how many times do we see an opponent, right? An undefeated prospect. We see this on Showbox a lot. An undefeated prospect going up against a guy with double-digit losses. And something like this happens. It can always happen in boxing. That is what makes this sport different than every other sport. How many times do you see something like that in college football where you have like a highly ranked school, I'm talking top 10 ranked school, get blown out of the water by a nobody school? It doesn't happen a lot. You know, maybe somebody pulls off an upset, you know, they kick a field goal at the end or something, but do they blow out the highly ranked team? You don't see that shit in other sports. That's one thing about boxing. You can't take a second off in the ring, particularly if you're a young guy learning. And sometimes, man, you see these prospects fighting in their hometowns or young you know, junior contenders or even a, a guy who just won a title for the first time defending in his hometown. You see the nerves, man. I'm telling you, boxing is just a different sport. Uh, Saturday, February 9th. So we had action, a lot of action in California this weekend. Uh, again, I will repeat, the California Commission runs boxing in America. I know, big scene in New York, 
growing scene in Texas, although that commission is shit. And of course, Vegas is the big money capital, although there are less and less events going to Vegas every single year. And there's uh, some strong club shows going on in different markets. But by far, California has the most action year-round. And we saw that this weekend. So on Saturday at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, I just cannot call it that. It is still the StubHub Center to me, damn it. And I know it used to be the Home Depot Center. And it took me a long time to convert from Home Depot Center to StubHub. But StubHub just fit. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's the phonetics of the word StubHub. But it just, man, it was synonymous with great fights. And now we have to call it the Dignity Health Sports Park. I don't like that shit. It doesn't fit. Anyway, in the main event uh, on a Showtime card, Gervonta Davis absolutely eviscerated Hugo Ruiz to improve to uh, 21-0-20 knockouts, defending his WBA 130-pound title, right? Uh, so Davis missed weight. Not a surprise. Missed weight by a couple ounces. I think he had a couple hours to make weight. He did. So he made weight in a second attempt. Uh, there's talk that he could fight in Baltimore next, although Floyd Mayweather did say, Floyd Mayweather, his handler, said that uh, they would possibly go over to Japan and do an exhibition fight with that tension guy, the uh, little dude that just fought Floyd recently in a little exhibition fight and got embarrassed. Guys, um, just give you a little inside info. A friend of mine that, uh, you know, a boxing guy that I trust, we chat a lot, uh, who lives in, uh, he splits time between Japan and the UK. Let me know, he was in the gym recently and saw tension fighting a club level journeyman type fighter and beating the shit out of him. Tension can't box for dick, seriously. So do I think that, uh, man, Gervonta Davis is a prime fighter. Floyd Mayweather is a, a you know, retired, you know, kind of, I'm not going to say fat. Floyd's never going to be fat. But you guys who saw him in that fight against Tension, uh, and if I'm butchering his name, I'm sorry. I, I just don't follow the kid. But uh, if you saw that fight, Floyd looked a little soft in the tummy, right? A prime Gervonta Davis would absolutely destroy that guy. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that was just Floyd talking. Floyd likes to say a bunch of shit. If they were smart, Javante Davis and his team, they've talked about fighting three times this year. Do the summer fight in Baltimore, man. Do a homecoming there. That'll be a big event for Baltimore. The city could use it. I think it'd do very, very well. It'd trend very well there. And then late in the year, late fall, do a fight that matters. Fight somebody that in the top 10 who's actually in your weight class. Try to do a unification, something. Do something that matters, okay? But yeah, the homecoming, it's probably going to be a Hugo Ruiz level fighter. And I get it. Abner Morris was the original opponent. He detached his retina. That's not on Gervonta Davis. But even him fighting Abner Morris, he was probably going to beat the shit out of him and, and stop him as well. Abner Morris, good old one-eye, you know, this, he's detached his retina several times now, guys. Okay, he's been a one-eyed fighter for a while. He's going to get by with guys who don't punch very hard and slap a little bit and that he's friends with and all that kind of, okay, you know, you talk about the fights with Santa Cruz, but a guy like Davis would have absolutely beat the shit out of him. So uh, Davis, you know, he already, I'm not going to say he had a layup against Mars. Mars has experience, but he had a showcase fight against Mars. 
in LA against the LA fighter, Mexican-American in front of the Mexican-American crowds. It was a brand building thing. Floyd knows how to manipulate and, and milk the Mexican fan base. He did it his entire career. And he's trying to do that with Davis a little bit here. That was the plan. Why do you think of all guys, when Maris was out because of injury, they replaced him with Hugo Ruiz? What do you think that was about? Do the math. Anyway, Davis did what he was supposed to do. Am I impressed by the performance? Not really. I mean, he got him out in one round, and that looks impressive, and I understand. But, guys, this is what it is. I mean, Ruiz had fought at 126 once, had never fought at 130, had just fought weeks ago on a, another, another card, so he didn't have a full camp for this fight. He was basically in between camps. And he spent most of his career at 118, 122. So he was grossly undersized in this fight and, and out-muscled. So this is basically... Now, look, Davis could have took his time and, you know, took five, six rounds to get this done. He went out there and did it in one round. That's impressive. That's Mike Tyson-esque. But most of Mike Tyson's first, second round knockouts were against, you know, lesser than, less than spectacular opposition. B-level guys... Old guys that were well past it. That's, that's basically what this was. All that being said, I like Davis's ring entrance to the thriller. I thought that was fun. There's theatrics to it. Completely unexpected and kind of a breath of fresh air. When, when these guys come out with a rapper mumbling into a microphone that you can't understand what the hell he's saying or anything else, it's just the same old shit you see every now and then. Even if you come out to a mariachi band, we've seen that a million times. So it was kind of cool to see something a little different. So to see him come out with the Thriller entrance, I thought that was a lot of fun. And smartly, he didn't dance. He didn't get involved in the, in the whole performance. He let dancers do that shit. He didn't waste his energy on that bullshit because we've seen other fighters do that and then lose. We've seen that happen a bunch of times. So smart move by Davis. I thought that was really, really cool, man. And look, if he really fights three times this year, he gets three big knockout wins and it all culminates with a top five opponent later this fall that he dominates and beats, that's fighter of the year consideration. Seriously, if it's the right opponent, we'll see what happens. Also on this card, Erickson Lubin retires Ishe Smith after three rounds, uh, dropped him twice in the first, once in the third. For Ishe Smith, this was his 11th loss, but the first time in his career that he couldn't make the final bell. It wasn't like a real knockout kind of loss, but it – he was done. I mean, if he came out for the fourth round, he would have been knocked out. He announced his retirement after this fight. Ishe Smith is one of those guys who could handle himself in the ring. Good quality prize fighter, perennial contender slash gatekeeper. Got a lot of TV dates that he probably didn't deserve. But because of the management he was with and everything else, uh, you know, he, he had those things lined up. And he took advantage several times of opportunities in kind of an overachiever. So, uh, you know, good for him. Carved out a good career for himself, a good professional career. For Erickson Lubin, obviously he's not on the level of a Charlo, and Charlo's not on the level of a Jarrett Hurd. So he's several levels below the elite. But one knockout loss is not the end of the world. You can rebound from that. Sometimes an early knockout loss like the one he suffered against Charlo, is better than getting beat up over 10 rounds and then being stopped, or even worse, getting shut out over 12 rounds and completely outclassed in a fight. So 
don't put so much stock into that loss for Lubin. Do I still do I see a future superstar or anything with him? No. But you know what? At some point in his career, man, he might grab a title, especially a WBA title. It could happen. Okay, so he's not somebody that you should just stop watching. I definitely think he's got something to him. Not elite, never going to be elite, might be an Ishe Smith type of fighter. But we need those guys in professional boxing. Absolutely need them. Also on this card, a complete snooze fest between Javier Fortuna, who uh, wins unanimous decision in a 10-rounder over Sharif Bulgari, who dropped Bulgari in the sixth. All three scores, 96-93. The crowd at the StubHub Center slash Dignity Health Sports Park, I'm just going to call it DHSP. That works better, DHSP. The crowd at DHSP is passionate and loud, loves boxing. Those fans are diehard fans. That's who goes to fights there. This fight made the DHSP seem like a cemetery, like a funeral home. Everybody was just booing. Not, not that people boo at a funeral home, <laughs> but uh, they were dead, man. They were dead because this fight sucked. And then we had a, a card on the zone and a card on Showtime at the same time. This was an excuse for people to flip back over to the zone if you were watching both. Anyway, Fortuna wins. He moves forward in his career. Bulgari is what he is. He's basically a gatekeeper. Also on this card, uh, 23-year-old prospect out of San Antonio, Mario Barrios, improves to 23-0 with 15 knockouts. He is a 140-pound prospect. Um, really, really good-looking prospect, man. Scored a KO4 win here. It was a, a 10-rounder scheduled for uh, him and Richard Zamora out of Mexico. He continues to move forward. 140 pounds, 5'10", good size for that division, exciting style. Coming out of Texas, where there's a growing scene there. Uh, I like what I see from Mario Barrios. So that was in Carson, which is a little suburb just south of Los Angeles. You go out east to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. We had Golden Boy on the zone. And I had a few of you guys ask me on Twitter last week which one of these Cali cards was I most interested in on Saturday. And I told you this one. And I told you that because I thought both of the matchups were possibility for an upset. Not particularly the one between Vargas and Manzanilla, but I, I did think that was going to be a tougher fight for Vargas than a lot of you thought. But the, the Machado-Concio fight, I really thought that's going to be a competitive fight, man. And it was. We got an upset special in the main event. Andrew Concio scores a TKO win over Alberto Machado, a fourth-round TKO win, grabs his WBA 130-pound title, Upset of the year. That's solidified. Now look, it's only February. We might see bigger, grander upsets. Sure we can. But this is an early runaway favorite for upset of the year and like inspirational story of the year. This is certainly going to be up in the top five, no matter what happens in the rest of 2019. Uh, Concio contemplated retirement after losing to Joseph Diaz Jr. back in 2016. I don't think he fought at all in 2017. He works a full-time job. In fact, he's going back to work Tuesday. He's taking Monday off. But he had to take vacation time for this fight. Now you think about working, how many of you guys out there uh, train at all, work out at all? I know I do, right? On top of my full-time job and then doing the boxing reporting part-time All the other things, renovating a house, it is hard as hell to train on top of all that. This dude, Andrew Cancio, 
working a full-time job, he's a father, he's got kids, right? Got responsibilities and training. And not just training like you or I train to stay in shape. This dude's training to go up against Alberto Machado, who coming into this fight was probably the third or fourth uh, ranked 130-pounder in the world. I think at ring, we had him ranked fourth. I believe fourth. So he was definitely a top five guy. Huge for that division, had looked really dominant in recent performances, just bludgeoned guys and stopped them. You're training to go up against this dude in front of your hometown fans because uh, Concio's from nearby, uh, near close to India. So you're in front of family and friends, all this. I mean, imagine the pressure, dude. Imagine the pressure. But Concio knew he was coming in as a guy, as an opponent, quote-unquote, he was supposed to lose. He was going to be uh, used to further prop up Machado so that, you know, Machado was going to eventually move to 135. This was probably going to be his last fight at 130. So he looked at this as, you know what, man? I got nothing to lose. And he went out there and let it all hang out. And it almost came crashing down on him in an instant in the first damn round. Concio was dropped in the first round. It looked like it was going to be an easy night for Machado. It looked like it was going to be the script that we all uh, thought could happen was going to play out. And then what happens? Concio says, fuck that. I've been through too much bullshit in my life. I've lost before. I know how that shit feels. I got my kids here. I got my friends, my family here. I ain't going out like that. And he starts beating the shit out of Machado's body. And you guys probably noticed, like I did, like everybody else, except for the announcers, the commentators at the zone seem to, to seem to notice. But uh, Concio working the body, and Machado didn't take those body shots well. We've all heard about Machado uh, having issues making weight, struggling to get down in weight to make the 130-pound limit. You know, it's been said a billion times. He's huge for that division. So here it is. He's a little melted, a little drained. And Concio jumps on that dude, starts pounding to the body, drops him, uh, how many times? I think he dropped him three times in the fourth round. Drops him three times. Started with the body work, then he went upstairs. Gets the TKO win in the fourth round. His life is forever changed. I tweeted about this. I just kind of snapped a little video of the fight with my phone and tweeted it out. That whole thing is why I love boxing. Again, no other sport can you see a man's life change within three minutes. Three minutes. A round is three minutes. That fourth round is the highlight. That less than three minutes is the highlight of Andrew Cancio's boxing life. That dude has put decades of his life into the gym, taken thousands of punches, probably ran thousands of miles, right? Think of all the road work, all the pain that dude's been through, all the cutting weight, all the bullshit. In those, in those three minutes, his life changed forever, right there, boom, that fast. It just doesn't happen like that in other sports, man. Not that fast. That shockingly doesn't happen. And now, look, very, very possible he could do a rematch with uh, Joseph Diaz Jr. next, who won on the undercard. He beat Charles Huerta in a 10-rounder at 130 pounds. Diaz's first fight at 130. It was a pretty entertaining fight. Though These two already fought once. Uh, Diaz beat Cancio. I just talked about that. And that's when Cancio you know, talked about possibly retiring. 
A rematch makes so much sense. Golden Boy would love it. They're all in on that one. And it'd be a chance. Golden Boy's been trying to get Diaz a world title forever in a day. This would be another opportunity for him. He would have a title if he wouldn't have, if he couldn't make 126 pounds in his last fight, or else he would have got a world title. But now this is a chance for him to get a title at 130. It's also a chance for Acancio to make a good payday. He's earned it. So I think that's what we're going to see next. Maybe not right away. Maybe they fight on the same card and then they both rematch at the end of the year, something like that. But they got options right now. So this was a big night for Golden Boy Promotions, who outside of Canelo Alvarez, not a whole lot going on at Golden Boy. So this was a big night for them. Outside of Southern California, yeah, maybe a lot of the boxing world doesn't care. But to the fans in the, in the Los Angeles, Southern California area, this is an exciting moment. And when these two rematch, which again, I do think it will happen, it's going to be a marketable fight out there. It's going to do numbers out there. Also on this card, uh, Ray Vargas. I talked about his fight with Franklin Manzanilla. Uh, he, he wins that fight by unanimous decision. Had to get off the deck in the second round to do it. He suffered a cut as well. But ultimately, he wins this fight in a one-sided fashion. All three judges have it 117-108, the fourth defense of his WBC 122-pound title. So that was it with Saturday. Now Sunday, we had more action in California, driving up, up uh, north to Fresno at the Save Mart Arena. It was top rank on ESPN. Uh, Ray Beltron gets back in the win column with a KO9 win over Japanese fighter, Hiroki Okada, who uh, came in undefeated, hadn't really fought the best fighters, but came in with a nice, shiny, undefeated record, and had fought at Save Mart Arena last September on the undercard of Jose Carlos Ramirez's last fight there at Save Mart Arena. So the fans there in Fresno had seen Okada before, had seen him pull out a close, I think it was like a majority decision or split decision win, so it kind of made sense to match him against Beltran. Beltran scores a KO9. Good win for him to get back in the win column. Obviously, he's coming off a loss where he, he lost his title in his last fight. In the main event, Jose Carlos Ramirez improves to 24-0 with 16 knockouts with a majority decision win over Jose Zapeda, who uh, drops to 30-1. and This was the second defense of Ramirez's WBC 140-pound title. And Zapeda... I, to, I talked about this last week, guys. I told you Zapata was going to be competitive. This was not going to be an easy night at the office for Ramirez. If you guys don't remember that, go back and listen to episode 157, the preview section. I talk about this. I thought this was going to be a tough fight for Ramirez. It was. Scores ultimately were 116-112, 115-113. One judge headed a draw, 114-114. I think all those scores were kind of in the wheelhouse. I had, I had Ramirez winning, but it was very close. Uh, this was obviously his toughest opponent yet. Passes the test, moves forward. When I look at Ramirez, do I see a guy who's an elite level, top 10, pound for pound level talent? No. Do I see a guy who's always going to be competitive and make for great TV fights? Yes. Do I see a guy who is a brand? Yes. Over 14,000 fans at the Save Mart Center came to see this fight. You know, you talk about uh, just how many guys in boxing, particularly in America, can put butts in seats, right? And there's your superstars. There's your Golovkins, your Canelos, you know, other guys who can put butts in seats. Most of the time, though, it's in Los Angeles, New York, Las Vegas. 
There are other guys who can move the needle though in smaller markets. Like look at what Terrence Crawford does in Omaha. Look at what Deontay Wilder, when he actually fights there, can do in Alabama. So there are guys who could do things in regional markets. But for this kid to do 14,000 fans in Fresno, California, not necessarily a big market, right? That's pretty damn impressive. They've really done a great job with him over at top rank. So he moves forward in his career. Fun weekend of action. We had stuff all over the place on ESPN, Showtime, DAZONE, a lot of club shows, successful club shows. Just a fun weekend of boxing, man. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. Friday, February 15th at the Kansas Star Arena in Mulvane, Kansas, which I believe is a suburb of Kansas City, is a Showbox card from Salida Promotions. And obviously Showbox means Showtime. So on this card, we have a local fighter, Nico Hernandez, who is a flyweight, 6-0, a 2016 Olympian, won bronze in those 2016 Olympics, going up against Mexican Victor Trejo Garcia in an eight-rounder. Nico is from uh, nearby Kansas City. So, um, you know, I, I followed Nico pretty, uh, pretty closely. He's one of the first, first uh, fighters I wrote about for Ring Magazine. So he's one of those guys that I just kind of keep an eye on. And uh, he talked about brands. I just talked about Jose Carlos Ramirez in California. Well, Nico Hernandez is building a brand there in Kansas. So that's why he's on this card. But we also have uh, two good prospect matchups. Uh, I think they're both 10 rounders. There's one Uzbekistani fighter who now lives in Detroit. Hopefully I can get this name close. <laughs> Shojahon Ergashev. Sojahon Ergashev, who's 15-0 with 14 knockouts. He's a southpaw going up against Michael Fox, who's 19-0 out of Maryland. So somebody has always got to go in that matchup. I think that's going to be fun. And then also we have Jesse Angel Hernandez from Fort Worth, Texas, going up against Thomas Patrick Ward out of the UK. That is a 10-rounder, 122 pounds. So that's a fun showbox card, man. And I think that crowd there is going to be fun at the Kansas Star Arena. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, also on Friday at the Grand Casino in Hinckley, Minnesota, we have top rank on ESPN. And local boy Rob Brandt from St. Paul going up against a Russian, Kasan Bysangorov. For the first defense of his WBA 160-pound title that he won off Ryota Murata in October. I remember at the very top of this episode when I talked about Canelo Alvarez getting to keep two different versions of the WBA belt in two different divisions. He has the WBA super 160-pound title. Rob Brandt has the regular 160-pound title. He's defending it for the first time against Baisangarov the Russian. And that should be a fun atmosphere too. Whenever you have a hometown guy fighting in his hometown or not hometown, but near his hometown, you're going to get the hometown fans. You're going to get the family and friends there. And that makes for a fun atmosphere. And that bleeds through the TV screen. So you're going to get a good action Friday on both Showtime and ESPN. I'm loving it. And then Saturday, February 16th at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, California. What did I say about California a few minutes ago? Running the scene in the United States boxing game. Uh, PBC on Fox from TGB Promotions. And in the main event, 
Leo Santa Cruz taking on his toughest challenge to date. I'm really impressed, man. He's going, oh wait, wait. no, 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 that's not right. He's going up against Rafael Rivera, a Mexican fighter who's lost two of his last three. Yeah, yeah, typical Leo Santa Cruz. This is for the WBA super featherweight title. <laughs> I can't keep up with the shit. Uh, look, I like Leo Santa Cruz. I like his family. Wonderful people. They're so nice. They're so awesome. And, you know, I've spoke with them a couple times. Good dudes. But since the two Frampton bouts, it's been Chris Avalos, old one-eye Abner Mares, and now Rivera. Dudes gotta step it up after this, okay? It's been showcase after showcase after showcase. So after he blows this guy out and stops him in the middle rounds, time to step this shit up. Also on this card, a completely meaningless fight between Omar Figueroa Jr. and John Molina Jr. The battle of the juniors. Completely meaningless, but will probably be a lot of fun because of the styles. Figueroa 27-0 with one draw. I didn't even realize he's still undefeated. Technically, Figueroa is still undefeated. I just thought of all the issues he's had outside the ring, issues making weight, issues with drinking, uh, you know, basically pounds him back like a frat boy on spring break uh, in between uh, fight camps. So uh, this is a guy who really started as a lightweight, bulk of his career at lightweight. One fight since 2015 for Omar. Zero fights in 2016, zero fights in 2018. He had one in 2017. I think that was, I think it was actually junior middleweight maybe. It might have been above the welterweight limit. So I don't even know. Apparently this is going to be a welterweight fight. I think both guys will make weight. But Figueroa has been crazy inactive all over the place. Let's see what he brings to the ring as a welterweight. See how sharp he looks. Molina has lost four of his last seven going back to 2014. Hasn't necessarily been the most active guy himself. Now, some of those losses were against really good fighters, like one Terrence Bud Crawford, who might be the best fighter in the world pound for pound right now. No shame in that. Some of those losses, though, not against the best opposition. He is, however, coming off a pretty strong win over Ivan Redcatch in December of 2017. Zero fights in 2018. So neither one of these guys fought last year. Their last fight was 2017. So not very inactive, kind of all over the place. However, Molina has consistently fought in the higher weight classes, at least recently, in recent years. He's been fighting at 140 and above for several years now. So he's the naturally bigger guy. Um, I think, you know, Figueroa might have... Uh, bigger reach. He might ha actually have a longer, like wider shoulders, but Molina's the taller guy and he's more accustomed to fighting bigger guys. So this is going to be Rock'em Sock'em Robots. It's going to be a lot of fun, but completely meaningless fight. <laughs> also here, we got a couple of, uh, let's see, uh, a title eliminator fight at 122 pounds. This is an IBF title eliminator between Cesar Juarez out of Mexico against Ryosuke Iwasa out of Japan, coming off a loss to TJ Doheny last August. Now remember, I talked about Doheny earlier in this episode, unifying titles with Daniel Roman. So uh, it's this round robin in boxing, you know, this, these names just always kind of recycle and come around. So uh, Iwasa coming off that loss to Doheny where he lost his 122-pound title, he goes straight into a title eliminator. So the winner of this fight, will be in line to fight the winner of that unification fight 
eventually between Roman and Doheny. Also, at any time you get a Mexican versus a Japanese dude, particularly in Los Angeles, that's just going to be fun. There's going to be Japanese guys in the crowd. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of Mexicans in the crowd. It's going to be fun. And a 105-pound title defense for Carlos Licona, who is 14-0, Mexican by birth, but now lives in Westminster. So he's from that L.A. area, going up against DJ Crield. Again, this is the first defense of his IBF strawweight or minimum weight title, whatever uh, term you want to use. Crazy, man. My fiance weighs more than these guys. Crazy. All right, guys. So uh, that's it. Another, you look, last couple weeks, you know, last week and this week coming up, um, not big fights with big stars or anything like that, but fun fights where you get, yeah, you're going to get some showcase fights. You're going to have some blowouts and some meaningless fights and stuff. But look, man, we're getting the upset of the year last week. We, we had some great stories. We saw some, some prospects lose their O. We saw some uh, guys march forward, you know, potential uh, superstars, brands continuing to be built. We're going to see more of that this weekend. I like these smaller fights. I like these club shows and these, these kind of junior uh, title fights, you know, cards. That's fun, man. That, that's, as a diehard boxing fan, I actually live more for this stuff than some of the really, really big matchups because that's when everyone's paying attention. These kind of fights are more fun. They're more for guys like us that we could talk about and shoot the shit. It's like an underground club, right? It's like, it's like La Cosa Nostra, this thing of ours, right? Nobody talks about the shit outside, but here inside we could talk about it and chop it up. That's what's fun about boxing. I like that it's an underground niche sport. And these kind of cards over the last couple of weeks, to me, They're just the most fun part of it. All right, guys, that's it for episode 158. Remember, if you got Spotify, we're on there. So check us out and spread the word, all right? I'll see you at the fights.